we're going through our all-in series. We're going through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be talking about walking worthy of our calling in Christ here this morning. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Have you ever heard that before? Yep, I'm sure most of you have. In fact, probably most of you actually use that phrase, haven't you? Maybe you're talking to somebody and you're counseling them and, and they're saying one thing and yet they're living a life that's totally different from what they're saying. Oftentimes we may say, hey, you know what? Actions speak louder than words. And uh, it's a way of telling them that what they're saying is not what they're living. And so here in, um, in Ephesians chapter 4, we come to a, a changing point in the book. And so we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, so if you want to open your Bibles there, you're welcome to do so and follow along with us. But here in Ephesians chapter 4, we shift from a positional truth, who we are in Christ, to a practical truth, our daily life of faith. And now that we are righteous and we're holy and we're redeemed and we're seated with the Lord in the heavens, now we need to use this wisdom in every day of our life. The righteousness of God still must do the dishes. Still must go to work. Still must raise kids. Maintain the marriage. Get along with the boss. And so practical application here of the word is as a subject here in the last half of Ephesians. So now that we've gained all this wisdom in the first three chapters, now what? Now what? Now, by the way, if you, have, if you not, haven't been with us for the previous messages, you can go online and listen to them. Or if you just want to go through and read through the first three chapters of Ephesians in order to get caught up so you know where we're at. But first of all, we need to get an understanding of what is wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Oftentimes we use those terms interchangeably, but what it means is wisdom is the correct application of the knowledge that we have gotten. So as we have been hearers of the word, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now we need to become doers of the word, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Now Paul relates this practical application to a walk. Uh, and oftentimes, as a result, you may hear pastors and teachers refer to our life here on earth as a Christian walk or a Christian journey. And, and as we learned in our series of divine direction, we don't always know our destination. But despite that, we can allow God to direct our steps. We see that with Abraham. God told Abraham, just go to a place that I'm going to show you. And so Abraham left not knowing where he was going, but he allowed God to direct his path. Now, why is this important? Well, if God, were to, if God were to show you your destination, where he would like for you to go, well, then it's possibly uh, up to us that we may go and we may reject where God wants to send us. I mean, who wants to go to Russia when you can go to Vanuatu, right? We may say, no, God, I don't want to go there. And so sometimes we don't know our destination, or we might get out our, our life map, and we may say, okay, I'm, I'm at point A, God wants me at point B, I'm going to draw a straight line from point A to point B and get there as quickly as I possibly can. But you know what? That may not be what God wants us to do. He may not want us to go in a straight line. He may want to take longer in order to get us to our destination, because over here, we may have somebody that God wants us to come in contact with. God wants us to influence and help them in their walk in Christ. And over here, God may have some people that 
that are down and out or maybe somebody that's struggling and he wants us to lift them up and he wants us to encourage them. And then over here by the, by off the beaten path, there may be an individual over there that God wants you to invest in because they're going to become part of your future ministry. So sometimes God may not lead us in a direct path. But if we had taken a straight line to our destination, we may have missed out. So in our Christian walk, it's important that we should be seeking God on a daily basis to ensure that we stay on the path that he would have for us. So let's talk this morning about our Christian walk. Our Christian walk. Now we're looking at the last half of Ephesians here. And Paul is addressing at least four areas that we are to walk in in the last half of Ephesians. So I want to give you just a quick overview, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts here. So Paul addresses four areas to walk in. He says that we're to walk in unity, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We're to walk in purity, chapter 4, 7 through uh, 5, 17, 17 through 5, 17. We're to walk in harmony, chapter 5, 18 through chapter 6, 9. And we're to walk in victory, chapter 6, 10, throughout the rest of the book. Four things. We're to walk in unity, purity, harmony, and victory. Now, here's one of the things I find very interesting here. That Paul connects walking with doctrine. He connects walking with doctrine. These four walks perfectly parallel the basic doctrines that Paul taught in the first three chapters. Let me show you what I mean. In chapter 1, we are called by grace to belong to his body. And so therefore in chapter 4, we are to walk worthy of our calling in unity of spirit within the body. And in chapter 2, Paul talks about being raised from the dead. And so in chapters 4 and 5, we, are, we see that we are to put off the grave clothes and we are to walk in purity. In chapter 2, he goes on to talk about being reconciled. And so in chapter 5 and 6, he exhorts us to walk in harmony. And in chapter 3, we see Christ's victory over Satan in the mystery. And in the last chapter of Ephesians, we are to walk in victory. So he parallels that actually perfectly between the first half and the last half of Ephesians. So over the next few weeks, we'll get into detail uh, of these things. But this morning, I want us to focus our attention here on Paul's walk. On Paul's walk. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice when he, uh, the, very, the very first part of this verse here, he says, I therefore. Now we've said this a number of times from this pulpit, but any time that the Bible says therefore, any time you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to go back and find out what it's there for. Because that word actually connects something that is previously to it to that which is after it. And one of the ways we do that is through context. We go and read the context of that therefore. So Paul is going, what Paul is doing here, he is pointing us back to the previous chapters on doctrine. Before he talks about how to walk, he wants us to understand where we sit. And herein lies the problem. Often uh, we try to walk before we learn to sit. 
We often try to do our Christian walk before we have an understanding of what Christ has done for us. And look, there's a number of books out there and resources out there that will go and tell you how you should walk, how you should be a great husband, how you should be a great wife, how to to raise your kids, how to live a life of purity, and it's all about the walk. But if we're not careful, we get so involved with the walk without actually first understanding where we sit. And most Christians believe that they are the initiators of the spiritual life. And so they try to walk worthy of that. They attempt to walk worthy of that. And if I walk good enough, maybe God will love me more. Look at what um, the scriptures are saying here. We look to God and we say, you have chosen me in Christ. You have done it all. You love me whether I read my Bible or not. You love me whether I go to church or not. You love me whether I obey the commandments or not. And because your love for me is unconditional, as a result, our response is, wow. Now I want to walk in response to what you, God, has done in my life. I want to read my Bible. I want to obey your commandments. I want to come to church and worship here this morning like we've done this morning. Amen? Isn't that great? We get to do this. This changes our attitude regarding our Christian walk. The Christian walk is not something that we got to do. It is something that we get to do. So chapters 1, 2, and 3, God, what God has done for us, in light of what God has done for us, we get to walk a life that demonstrates our position in Christ. We loved him because he first loved us. The Christian walk is a response, not a responsibility. We don't earn his blessings, we enjoy it. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. You see, a child must learn to sit before he can walk. I mean, it would be quite foolish of a parent to go and try to teach their kid how to walk before they learn how to properly sit. They haven't built up that, that, those core muscles that they need in order to walk. And when it comes to raising kids, we want to teach them what God has done for us and what God has done for them before we start instructing them on how to live their lives. Teach them to sit before you teach them to walk. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, the sitting is often neglected because Christians want to jump into the 4, 5, and 6, the walk. And they do so without properly understanding chapters 1, 2, and 3. So let's get the doctrinal understanding first in order to set the foundation for our walk in the future. Does that make sense? So let's continue. Let's look at Paul's life. He says that he was a prisoner of the Lord. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, he says. Now, at this time of Paul's writing, and he's, he's writing to the Ephesians, but he is a prisoner of Rome. How did he end up there? Well, allow me to give you a sort of a quick overview, if I may. Paul used to be named Saul. He was a Pharisee, and he was a very staunch Pharisee, and he heard about this new religion coming to town called the Way. And he didn't want nothing to do with that. In fact, he was going to stamp it out. And so he persecuted uh, Christians, and he put them to death. And then he had an agreement with the uh, high priest to go to a place called Damascus to do the same. 
And on the road to Damascus, Paul encountered Jesus Christ. And that changed his life. He no longer was a persecution, a persecutor of Christ and Christians. He was actually a preacher of Christ and Christians. And so the other Jews didn't like this. And so they looked for opportunities to discredit him. And one day he went into the Jewish synagogue, and some of the Jewish zealots started making accusations against him. And as a result of that, they got the crowd all in uproar. And the crowd then began to attack and beat on Paul. And this came to the attention of the Roman commander, and it was his job to keep the peace. And so he sent soldiers in there to break up the mob, and they arrested Paul because obviously he was the problem. Everybody was pointing the finger at him. And they bound up Paul. And, and in attempting to interrogate him, they, they were going to do that through scourging. But Paul said, hey, hang on, hang on. I'm a Roman citizen. Now, as a Roman citizen, you have certain rights. You just can't go willy-nilly beating the grease out of these guys uh, without probable cause. And so he was a Roman citizen. And so before that, so they, they couldn't beat him. And so they brought him into the courts to stand before his accusers. And there was nothing worthy of death. And of course, the Jews didn't like that. And so they made a plot in order to assassinate Paul, but this plot was uncovered by the commander. So he delivered Paul at nighttime with armed guards to Felix in the next town over in order to have the court proceedings continue on there. Now Felix continued to bring Paul before him, not necessarily to hear his defense, but he was hoping that Paul would actually give him a little money. He was looking for a little, a little payment on the side in order to get his freedom, but Paul never did that. And so in order to stay in good favor with the Jews, Felix kept Paul in prison for two years, despite the charge against him had been proven. Now Festus comes on the scene, he replaces Felix, and he hears Paul's case, and he finds nothing worthy of death. However, the Jews, they weren't uh, content with that, and they wanted Festus to bring Paul back to Jerusalem to stand before his accusers, and so... Festus asked Paul about that, and, uh, and Paul says, no, 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 I'm not going back to Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen if he goes back to Jerusalem. So as a Roman citizen, he appeals to go before Caesar. And while he was waiting, waiting to go to Rome, King Agrippa came to town, and, and he also heard Paul's defense. And so uh, whenever Paul completed his defense, Festus thought that he had gone mad. But King Agrippa said, oh, man, I'm almost persuaded to become a Christian. In fact, he said, had he not appealed to Caesar, he would have been released. So afterwards, uh, they shipped him off to Rome, and while he was traveling in a boat, he got into bad weather, and uh, the ship wrecked, and, and he was marooned on an island. He was there for several months, and they eventually landed in Rome, where he was chained to a Roman guard, and he was given some freedom, because while he was there, he preached to the Jews there in Rome, and some believed, the Scriptures tell us. <clears throat> not once did they prove his guilt, Yet he remained a prisoner. Now, tradition tells us that while a prisoner in Rome, a, a fire broke out, and um, uh, they, they blamed the Christians for the fire. And as a result of that, Christians were persecuted and they were put to death. And Paul was allegedly beheaded while Peter was crucified during this time. But notice how he summed up his life in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. He said, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 
in journeys, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides other things. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's just a whole list of things. Is, you know, that's not all of it. There are still other things. But he says, well, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for the churches. Interestingly, despite all that he went through, his daily concern was for the churches. Why did Paul go through all that? Well, Ephesians 3.1 says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. For you Gentiles. Paul endured all these things to ensure that the Gentiles receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul ended up a prisoner because he wanted to ensure that these Gentiles received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul ended, in the end, it cost him his life because he wanted to ensure that the Gentiles received the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the church, we get so caught up with petty little things, we lose sight of the bigger picture. Oftentimes, are we willing to endure for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to walk worthy of our calling? So when Paul tells us that we are to walk worthy of our calling, this is something that he had demonstrated to us in his own life. He didn't just tell the church of Ephesians, do as I say, but not as I do. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. Why is that important? Because actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. What are your actions saying about you right now? When you evaluate your, the, your life and the way that you're living your life, what does that say about your beliefs? Are you all talk? Or does your words have substance? Notice he included his imprisonment in his letters here. He, he says, yes, I was a prisoner, and, and, and he was unashamed about it. He was a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. Listen, I've had some conversations with unbelievers, and oftentimes we find a mutual friend that maybe we know that goes to, goes to church or whatever, and, uh, and I begin to talk to this individual, and, and it becomes clear. He goes, you know what, I, I, I never knew that he was a Christian. I never knew he went to church. And sometimes that makes me feel very uncomfortable, and it pains me to hear that. Listen, are we ashamed of our calling in Christ? Well, Paul wasn't, not even in prison. This didn't cause him, cause him to go into hiding and feel ashamed. He boldly proclaimed the reason he was in prison. God revealed to him that he would preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And earlier in Acts chapter 21, it was revealed that he would do so in bonds. And chains. But even with that knowledge, it didn't deter him from his mission and calling in life. Why? Because Paul knew the importance of walking worthy 
of you. Through in our walk, not walking around with a spirit of condemnation, looking, uh, looking for the wrong in other people. My, my, my pastor back in the States used to always tell us, you know, it takes no, cri- no size to criticize. It takes no size to criticize. I like that. Let's remember it's only by God's grace that we are seated with Him in the heavens. But he goes on to talk about long-suffering or patience. Some may even uh, look at it as long-tempered. It is the ability to endure without fighting back. As we walk the Christian walk, God will often put people in our paths that drive us insane. Yes, I am talking about you. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. You guys are great. Now, somewhere in the scriptures here, it says that we're to walk with a sense of humor as well. So when you find that verse, you let me know, okay? But some of us drive us crazy. In fact, sometimes we even make a detour uh, in order to try to avoid these people that God has placed in our paths. Did you hear that last bit? That God has placed in our paths? Yeah? Are are you still thinking about the people you're going to avoid on the way out? Which exit are you going to take? God has put these people in our path. And and, and sometimes it, it makes us crazy. And honestly, we wonder, how can God put up with such a person? And then God goes and sort of taps us on the shoulder. And he brings to memory the things that we used to be like, right? He brings to memory who we were. No, correction, who we are, if we want to be honest. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to put up with you? If you were God? Would you put up with you if you were God? Man, if I was God and I had to put up with me, I know what I'm like. I'd be grabbing those lightning bolts from heaven and I'd be chucking them in and I'd be a, I'd be a fried crisp chicken right now, man. It's just, it, it, it would just be, it'd be bad. I wouldn't even exist today. How much long-suffering was demonstrated by God to put up with you? That same long-suffering that God showed us should be demonstrated in our lives as well. God may bring people into your, your life that will require a lot of time and patience on your part. But listen, you never know. You never know. There may come a time in your life where you can sit back with a smile on your face and see God doing wonderful works through that individual. And to think that you had a small part to play in that in their life. Man, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. Had you brushed them off or pushed them away, who knows where they would have ended up. The Bible sometimes refers to the Christian journey as a race to be run. And there are times that God, maybe, maybe He wants you to pick up the pace a little bit. But there are only a few verses that point to the Christian life as a race. And even then, the point is to finish the race. To finish the race. To don't get sidetracked. To don't be putting on all these burdens when you're trying to run a race. You want to shed those things. You want to put those things off of you so that you can be free to run the race that God has for you. And He wants to make sure that you finish the finish line. 
But when we talk about living out our faith, the Bible mainly describes it as a walk. A walk. And when we walk with God, it demonstrates patience, and there's less chance that we're going to get ahead of God. Now, I admit, I'm not a runner. Why are you smiling? I admit, I'm not a runner. Just in case you couldn't tell, okay? And even though, I mean, even the thought makes me tired. But, but if you invite me to go for a run with you, instead of having a, a conversation with me, I assure you, it's going to be a one-way conversation. My focus won't be on what God is doing in your life. It will be on sucking, on, sucking as, as much oxygen out of the air as I possibly can. It won't be a conversation. If you want to have a conversation with me, then, then you're going to have to slow down the pace. You're going to have to be patient with me. You're going to have to, to wait on me if you want to have a conversation with me. In our busy world that we live in, sometimes life is hard to just carve out an hour in your schedule to spend time with God. I mean, sometimes our devotional life resembles like a Macker's drive through man. We've got it in gear. We roll up, and we grab a little bit from here. We grab a little bit from there, and then we're traveling 100 kilometers down the road trying to digest that which we just got. I understand that. This is why I believe that we should set a time each day to purposely spend meaningful time with God. If not, then life is going to get too busy, and guess what? God gets squeezed out. If God doesn't give up on us, well, then we shouldn't give up on others as well. But he goes on and talks about bearing or, or forbearing with one another with love. Now, sometimes we like to leave that with love bit off, don't we? You know, I'll put up with them, but I can't stand them. Yeah? We, we, we are to, to, to put up with them in love, which points us back to the fruits of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and here's that phrase again, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must, so you also must do. Here we have some additional words in connections with bearing with one another. And so what this does, it gives us a little bit better indication or an understanding of what this looks like practically. So why should we do that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know that, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And notice this next bit here. And such were some of you, he says. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. 
but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul wants you to understand here this morning that when you're dealing with people that are hard to get along with and, and they're involved in, in ungodly behavior, to remember that at one point in our lives, this was us. We were that person. And if we take the time to think back, most of us can point to a person or maybe even several people who were willing to put up with us. And as a result, we are who we are today. So occasionally, we may have to put up with an obnoxious person at work or a person who likes to flaunt their wicked behavior in our faces or a person who may be better off than than we are and he likes to remind us of that from time to time. But if we can be humble, meek, long-suffering, and forbearing, God just might use us to be a positive influence in their lives. And as a result, we can be seen as walking worthy of our calling. He talks about the unity of the Spirit, or peace. The last part of this, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, notice he says unity of spirit, not unity of the body. Unity of the Spirit. Unity of the body is God's responsibility. We see churches today who remove doctrinal language from their vocabulary. They compromise their beliefs and even change the interpretation of God's holy word in an, in an attempt in order to unify the body. Well, we have some people in our congregation that just don't like us talking about those things, and so we're just going to put that aside. You'd be surprised the number of churches here that, that they, don't, they don't preach about hell anymore because they just want to focus on God's love. We're not going to deal with those things because we want to be politically correct. They want to try to unify the body, and so they do away with those things. Listen, it's not our job to unify the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, notice this, just as He pleased. It is not my job to tell you whether you should be a hand or a foot. But it is our job to be unified of the Spirit. We are to take the gifts of the Spirit and apply them to our lives. And in doing so, we can be united within the body. Because we have a common Spirit guiding and directing the members of the body of Jesus Christ, then we can walk together. Notice he says, endeavor. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Romans puts it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, the fact of the matter is that there are some people out there that don't want to live peaceably. We know that. They're always looking to stir up trouble. And actually, I'm probably talking about Christians as well, at least those who profess to be Christians. But to the best of our ability, we are to live peaceably with them. Why? Because we want to walk in unity. This can only happen when we are lowly, gentle, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Only then can we have unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says that there can be be no real spiritual unity, chapter 4, without doctrinal unity, 
chapters 1, 2, and 3. Let me ask you, how's your Christian walk? If you are not happy with your walk, let me encourage you to go back and listen to these messages in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Go back and, and, and view, review those Bible verses once again. Learn what it means to be in Christ. So that once we have an idea and an understanding what it means to be in Christ, then we can have the foundation to walk in Christ and to walk worthy of our calling. If you say you're a Christian, well then Paul says, walk worthy of your calling. Not just on Sundays, but also on other days of the week as well. And to help you with that, I've also included in your bulletin a list of areas with biblical references that you can use with your family in order to strengthen your walk with God. And so you take your bulletin home today. You can go back and have a look at that. Have a read through these things. And then maybe once a week or maybe uh, once a day, you can actually go through it and, and look at that. And you can actually look at the Bible verses and have a look at it in context to see what it says. And then you can get around as a family and say, now, what does this look like in our lives? How can we apply this scripture in our lives? Let's go through those very quickly. Look at the Christian walk. Um, walk in truth, he says. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk in faith. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in newness of life. Walk circumspectly. Walk in, with in, in integrity. Walk in good works. Walk worthy of our vocation. Walk in wisdom. Walk worthy of the Lord and walk according to His commandments. I tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about how we are to walk, does it not? And here you have the opportunity to take those and apply them to your life and to your family this week. So Paul challenges us to walk worthy of your calling. And that's the challenge that I want to leave with each of you here this morning. Walk worthy of your calling in Jesus Christ. Now there may be some here that maybe you're not in Christ yet. Maybe you're not in Christ. You said, Dwayne, I don't really know what you're talking about. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means that Jesus Christ paid the price for you. He died for you. He paid for your sins so that you can have a relationship with God once again. And so let me encourage you, if you've never made that decision to follow Christ in your life, then I'd love to have an opportunity to talk with you. You have your connection card. You can fill out those connection cards and say, Hey, Dwayne, I want to know more. I want to know how I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we would love nothing more than to come down and sit down with you and open up God's Word and show you how you can be in Christ. So therefore you can walk worthy of your calling. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful here this morning. And Lord, we just want to let you know that we love you. And we thank you for all that you have provided for us, Lord. All the things that you have done. Lord, we are in Christ. We are seated in Christ. And you have given us so many blessings, Lord. And so, Lord, now I pray. And our desire is that we now walk worthy of our calling here this morning. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.